0: his only Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his Son given to them, who are under his father's care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges and sons of God made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. That's a peak of what next week's uh, message will be about uh, with verses 12 through 17 that will bring an end to this series that I'm doing at this uh, time. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. And um, let's see. We will be reading again verses 1 through 17. But today we will be looking at three verses 9, 10, and 11. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your guidance. We ask your blessing. We pray, Father, that you would give our eyes the desire and the, uh, the will to hear your voice and enable us to be able to hear it, Lord, because your word tells us that without your Spirit's work in our life, we would not, not only hear it, we would not understand it, Lord. And though we would hear words, we would not really, really hear it. So, Father, I pray as we read that you'll give our hearts that will and desire, and you'll give us ears that will be able to hear that voice that we long to hear as we long to hear the voice of someone we love. So we ask this in Jesus' name. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Last week we saw the comparison that Paul is doing when he now brings us to this great chapter. Uh, and these are great verses. These are verses of great encouragement, I hope and pray, for you as for all of us. I, I know that in many Bibles, this section of the Bible is probably worn out because it's the go to for everything that goes on in life. From the moments we find ourselves exhilarating with faith, and when we find our, our, uh, ourselves, as the writer of Lamentations, that our teeth are scraping on the gravel. These words are just great words. And after setting chapter 5, 6, 7 of all, everything that anybody could argue against about why Jesus and why not, the Jew, why not, why not Judaism... And why, and what did Abraham believe, and what did David believe, and is this grace something new, is justified by faith something new, is this, this a, a new word that comes from God? And Paul sets this whole argument out from chapter 5 on, and in chapter 5 again, just to remind you, and so that you never forget, is that this is where it all, he breaks it down and, and brings it within this gospel, I'm sorry, within this, this epistle, this this, this idea of separation. There is no plan B with God. Uh, there is no next, well, let's try the next step. What does God have in store? Because it doesn't seem to be working. There is only those of us who are in Adam and those of us who are in Christ. And all the things that we've been pointing out to about all the things that, that are are ours in Adam, all the negative things, the things that we live with. This is who we are. This is our existence. This is our existential being right here in Adam. This is where we all live. And until Jesus and the Holy Spirit come along and change our hearts and make us see, as happens in chapter 7, that all of this and everything that we do and try to do to please God, even, even the law that God has given to us, and it's a righteous law, and it's a good law, and it's a holy law, but it never was intended to do what we hope it would do for us. If I can just be good enough, if I can just do enough, just tell me what I need to do so that it makes me feel like i got, I got to do something. And, and that's where Judaism was all about, the, the, this sense of, of uh, that the, the Pharisees, especially with Jesus and the terrible priests that they had back in the Old Testament and the, and the terrible leaders of, of just showing the world and being the example for the, the people of God, of just doing things the way they want to do it and making the rules up as they go along. And the, the rules that God gave it, we're okay, but we don't really have to do that. And then we come over here and we realize that someone gave their life to fulfill all of that so that with assurance there is no condemnation. We will never, ever have to face the wrath or the displeasure of God again because of Christ and because what he has done for us. As he says in verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, over here in Adam. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I've come to give you life, and that life is an abundant life because of who Jesus is and the benefits and the inheritance and the blessings that we have. All of this is good for nothing. It doesn't last. It gives us death. It guarantees our passage into eternal hell. Over here, this guarantees us. If I have, I have, I have, I have prepared. I have, I have reservations for you in heaven. And if it weren't so, I, I he goes. I would, I wouldn't tell you these things. But this is true. You are secured. You never have to lose your assurance of your salvation no matter how many times your teeth hit the gravel. Or how many times you think you've made it and you realize that you haven't only by God's grace that you trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And then through, as we're Learning in this chapter the continuation of the work of Christ as we see the continuation of the work of Jesus in the book of Acts. We see here the continuation of the work of Christ, the application, the planning of the Father, the accomplishment of Jesus, now the application of the Holy Spirit of all these blessings to the reality of who we are legally in heaven and also within our own hearts so that we remember these things as the Bible tells us. And she pondered all these things in her heart. And it gives us these things to be reminded of as we live our lives together and to come alongside of each other as we do this communion time here today and the Lord's Supper and all that it signifies for us and this, this, this uh, sealing of of our salvation, the sealing of all the, the laws and all of the, the promises and all of the inheritance that comes to us as we see next week and being in this new family that God has created for us. It's all sealed for us. The king has put a signet ring on it. No one, no one can break it. And then it all points to who Jesus is. It points to the glory of God. It points to the grace of God through the Old Testament, giving us all of the sacrificial laws, giving us the moral and the ethical standards of what it looks like to live with one another. And how to live, as we tells us in Deuteronomy, which is Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Moses says, hey guys, we're heading to a new place. And there's lots of temptation over there. Just remember who you are. So let's go over who we are again. So he tells us here that there is two categories, again, two modes of existence, in Adam and in Christ. As he says here in um, Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. We have no other place to go. This is the only place we can go. This is the world, the age, the kingdom. This is all it for us. We can't break out of this until, until someone came along and broke that bondage to this and gave us a new way to live over here. And he paid it with his life. And if it's finished and nothing else can be done, again, no one can ever take away. They can never cancel our reservations. We never have to worry about being upgraded because we're at the best. So he points to us and he tells us this. He says, these are the words about as we looked over last week about setting your mind about you know as I said Jesus sent his face like flint to Jerusalem and this is what it was it was the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to go to Jerusalem. It drove him. He gave himself up to it. He subjected himself to the Father's will. It was settled in his mind, and he focused on everything that needed to be done to get to that place where he could die for us, so that he could rise for us, so that we could be crucified with Christ, as Paul tells us in Galatians. We will be raised with Christ. All of those blessings, everything that Jesus happened to Jesus happened to us if we are in Christ. So Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So you can see, there can be no symbiotic relationship. We just can't get along. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit and you are not under the law... Now the works of the flesh, this is very obvious, right? As it was in chapter 1 of Romans, in chapter 3 of Romans. All the list of everything that you could possibly go from A to Z where nobody could say, oop, that doesn't apply to me. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident... He says in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 22 and following, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we see, that was our message last week. For He says, For to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death. And to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So what did we, we learn from that? It says that the flesh, keeping our eyes, setting our mind, those who can't help but set their mind In Adam, their their ultimate destiny is death. Death, spiritual death, eternal death in hell, completely and eternally alienated and separated from God. And he says then, he goes in verse 7, whoever does set the uh, mind on the flesh is hostile to God, enemies of God. And you, in, verse, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Adam, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. Paul writes in Colossians 1, verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind were doing evil deeds. He says in, in, in verse 7, It's not only that we are hostile to God, that we are enemies of God, but we disobey God. We are not willing and do not want to submit to God. We want to be disobedient. Now we'll say that we aren't as bad as everybody else, but we still find ourselves wanting to do what we want to do if we are in Adam. The problem is is that you and I still have the family pattern of Adam as we move over here. And the things and the traditions that we did sometimes come very easy to us, and it's our default mode. So now we have to have a new default mode, right? Where does our mind go when this happens and that happens? And so that's what, this is what Paul's saying. Set your mind so that when things happen, that you will be able to say no to ungodliness, even though you and I know that it does not take much to trigger that default button. He not only says that, he says in verse 7, indeed, we cannot follow the law. Indeed, we cannot obey God. Remember what we read last week in the Westminster Confession, chapter 9, he says, It said there, man has completely lost all ability to choose any spiritual good, unable by his own strength to convert himself or work towards being converted. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then the last thing that we learned about setting your mind on the flesh, among those other things, is one that is really disturbing, and is verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ever. No way, no how. Everything that you do, everything that we attempt to try to glorify God or try to please God, not even for the sake of of glorifying Him or pleasing Him, we just do it because we think we're putting a scale of good deeds on a weight and we're just putting them over there to outweigh our next door neighbor when the judgment day comes. We want want to make sure that we see the the scale, the, as you see the out in front of banks or places that are raising money, you see the thermometer going higher and higher and higher. We do everything we can to try to try to build that thermometer so we can try to hit our goal. Well, we no one ever thinks that they hit their goal, but they do think that they've done, made a pretty good attempt to try to be good enough to get to heaven because we think insanely. If we've been disobedient in Adam if we've been disobedient in our flesh and this is who we are that all of a sudden when we die we're going to care what god wants he's taking us right to heaven we've been we all of a sudden we want to get there we want that place we want heaven we want to get back to the garden but we don't want to do it the way the Lord wants us to do it, so we'll just play it the way we want to, and then when we die, oh, I just hope God just takes me in. And that's an insanity, is it not? If you read ever think about your life, what's after life? You know, you have you were born this day, you died this day, then what? I've asked people in that sometimes, then what? What's next? I don't, know what you're, I don't know where my expiration day is on my foot. I can't tell what's on your foot, but what's after this? Do you, you just think it's over? Or do you have something else that you think that's planned for you? And I said, I do know that there is something planned for you, but I don't think you're going to like it. So now he takes us to chapter 8, verse 9 through 11. Now we hear there's a word here, and it's an adversative in, in Greek, the word "but" it says, however, but you could put "but" in there, and you know when "but" comes it's an adversative, like you know uh, in uh, chapter uh, three, verse twenty, then twenty one the book of Romans, "but, or in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter two, you know you were objects of wrath, but it's like... I know you know it's been almost it'll be almost three years that I can't smell a whole lot of things still from COVID, but I think I can I can smell the rubber burning when you hear that (laughs) but. But he says you, however, now the encouragement continues. Wanting that the pastor Paul comes out even more. I mean he's been seen everywhere. But even his heart changes. He wants people to be encouraged. So notice what he says. But you, however, you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if. A test, right? Let me know. I want to test you. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And do you know that? And how would you know that? Well, we certainly... Went to Galatians and talked about what is the fruit of being in the flesh and what is the fruit of being in the spirit. Do any of those things interest you? <laughs> Does church interest you? Remember the book of the, 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 the first epistle of John that we looked at, and, and uh, there were three tests in the, in the gospel, in the uh, epistle of John, uh, first epistle of John, the test of, of, of doctrine. Do you know who Jesus is? Does it make a difference that you understand totally who Jesus is? Secondly, do you you love the church? Do you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do you really love them? Do you really love the church? Do you really care about this community of faith that God has given to you? So much that God wants you to come alongside other believers and share these graces of baptism and communion that God has given to us, and sit under the Word of God that's preached, the full counsel of God, and be able to come alongside someone who needs prayer, or someone who needs to be uh, congratulated with, being able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and be able to weep with those who weep, but we do it not because of who we are, but because who we represent, and now the family of God that we find ourselves in. We now have The the word of God to love each other, as we said in chapter 15 of Romans, we are now competent to counsel one another. Remember that? I talked about that last week. Do we have enough information? If I were to fall into some terrible situation in my life, regardless of how big or how small it was, and I know many of you have here for sure, or any one of us, Would we feel that we would be able, in in the spirit of, of Christ, to be able to come alongside them and show them and let them know that Christ is sitting right next to them as you are sitting right next to them? Encouraging them, comforting them, weeping with them. And so this is where he tells us here that if we are in Christ you're not in the flesh but in the spirit in fact the spirit of god dwells in you and anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him now that's an interesting term the spirit of christ peter says it in 1st peter Uh, Philippians one nine, I believe talks about the spirit of Christ it's not used a lot and it's confusing to some people why would there be the Holy Spirit the spirit of God notice he says it in three different ways here he talks about being in the spirit and then he talks about the spirit of God and then he talks about the spirit of Christ in three different things he's talking about the same thing but he says it three different ways and for somebody who doesn't care what that means they'll just go I don't understand it but maybe someday I'll find out but you're here, so we'll find out. So you notice together it's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit Himself. It's all the same thing. You know, that there's three persons in the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son's not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit. But yet, The Spirit and the Father and the Son have such intimacy together that they share this great relationship with one another. So when you're talking about the Spirit, the Spirit points us to the Father and the Spirit points us to the Son. And Jesus talks so much about the Spirit, especially in the Gospel of John, that all three of them defer to one another and talk about each other in such affectionate terms. And here's what uh, Jesus says. Listen to where we can come with the sense of knowing why, what is meant by the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus promises this in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. Listen to what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Right, And that is capital H, meaning the Holy Spirit to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then notice what Jesus says next. When he talks about sending the helper, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So what he is doing is saying when he sends the helper, when he sends the Holy Spirit to us, he is sending himself to us. So it is the Spirit of Christ that we have. It's the Holy Spirit, but it is Christ living in us and with us and dwelling in us. When we eat together, the reason that we can have Communion together is because we have communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus says, if I don't leave, you, won't, you can't, it, it's better that I go because our relationship can't continue this way. So he says, if I go and when I go, don't worry, I'm sending somebody else, the Holy Spirit, who will be my presence in you. But it's still the Holy Spirit. So they're so closely connected. And notice what he says in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 19. For this reason, this is a prayer for spiritual growth. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If he sends, he's praying for the Holy Spirit to come with strength, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all fullness of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by sending the Spirit and praying for the Spirit of God to come. So we need the Holy Spirit. And without the Trinity, we would not have a relationship with the Father nor the Son. So that's to to take away this complex argument about I don't get the Trinity. It's complex, but it's very needed and something that we should love. Notice what he says too. He says this in verse 9. He says, in fact, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The word dwell, imagine the Spirit of God living in us. Now, the word dwell is a, a Greek word, which is oikos, which, but just so that you know that where we get our other words from, is oikos. The word here is the verb form for that, which means, and the word oikos means house. Or, or living place. And when you're in a verb form of that is dwelling or, or living. And so, what he is saying here is that, that God is living and dwelling within us. It's the word where we get the word economy from oikos, and we get the word economy, the law, you know, the, the, the law of how we live or where we live, or ecology, the study of our house. And so what he's saying is here is that dwelling. Notice he says, it, he says it a few times in verses 9 and then again in verse 11. He says, the Spirit of God dwells. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Or do you not know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, that your body is the, whole, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, "...whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body." Notice that if he's going to talk about this later on, too, is a, is a possession. We, we, are, we are God's possession to Christ. Christ said to his Father, "...Father, I have not lost any that you've given me." We are cherished by Jesus. Believe it or not, we are cherished by God because he sent his son to die and Jesus died for you and I so that he could dwell within us. Dwelling means that no matter where we go, we take the Holy Spirit with us. We take Jesus with us. Now that's a great thing. We can go from A to Z, from north, south, east, west, we can go anywhere, and the Spirit of Christ, Jesus himself, is living in our hearts, which is a great comfort, I hope, to all of us. But when we sin, we do the same thing. We bring the Spirit of God, we bring Christ into every place that we sin. Every place and every action that we do that we find in Romans 1, Romans 3, Galatians 5, that's where we bring Jesus. Now, if that doesn't sober you and me, that we want to do our own thing, but we bring Jesus along with us into the the filth of our lives into the place where we do the things that we're not supposed to do or say the things that we're not supposed to say or look at the things we're not supposed to look at. And Jesus is watching everything with us or hearing everything we say is part of that conversation. This is a blessing, but I hope that for you and for me, and I pray for me and I pray this, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus that I have brought you to this place again. This is why we all need each other, because you have brought him there too and when you become so f- shameful and guilty and feel that there is no hope for you and you don't feel like you are a believer anymore or you don't feel like you're going to pass the test or you shouldn't be called use your name the name of Jesus upon your name uh, upon your life that I'm a Christian a follower of Christ we need to come alongside each other and saying wait a minute there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus no matter how much you sin or how badly you sin, if we, we all have besetting sins in us. There are weeds in our life that those things have great roots, and some die, and you sprinkle it with some weed killer, and it looks like it shrivels up, and you go back, and we have some rain, the sun comes out, and that stinker is right up again. And if you cut it, what happens? It grows right back up. You cut a tree down. You don't take the stump out. The stupid thing keeps on living. So that's why he's telling us, he understands. Chapter 6 says you and I are going to have real problems in life if we're following Christ because our old habits in Adam are going to pop up. And sometimes... Sometimes we're going to feel that, we're no, we're, that sin is reigning in our life, even though in Christ we're told it doesn't happen, and we feel the freedom of that from time to time. But boy, there are times when we find ourselves struggling with sin. And where is the place we're supposed to come to be able to find support and encouragement and, and admonishment and exhortation? In the counsel of many, there's great wisdom. It's here, the pillar of truth, the family of God, where we show love to one another. And that's what he's saying as to us here. He is saying that this Spirit of God dwells in us. He's oikos, he's oikeo in our life. <laughs> He is verb. It's like tabernacle, right? He came, it says in in, in chapter, uh, uh, first chapter of John's gospel, he came and dwelled among us. And the word used, people say, he came to tabernacle uh, with us. And somebody's going, that doesn't sound right. But no, you're taking a noun and you're making it a verb, and that's what it's doing. He's housing with us, right? This is what he does. He lives with us. And then then he goes on and he says... uh, uh, Corinthians tells us to examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examines yourself, again, this is what John did, the test was, the first test was doctrine, the second test was, uh, uh, you know, uh, how do we love one another, and the third test was how, how does our life shape up to the morality of the gospel what are we to look like we're supposed to look like Jesus because all of the gifts of the spirit all of the fruits I mean of this all the fruit of the spirit is what Jesus is all about it's pointing us to Jesus Jesus is all of that and more and so that's what we're supposed to be living like and John says for those who follow Jesus in 1 John we are to walk in the steps that Jesus walked and Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live by flesh in the Son of God, I live by faith, who he, God who He loved me and gave Himself for me. Ephesians three fourteen says, for this reason I bow my knees again. He says, for every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches that He may grant you to be strengthened, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So we see that we see these different things of God dwelling within us. We see the spirit of Christ within us. And verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, although your body is dead, and that's something we cannot get rid of at all in Adam, is that our body is going to die. It's going to die, but we have the hope of the resurrection as he talks about in verse 10, but that's what he says. We have something still in common with Adam, even though we carry over this pattern, this thinking, but we really catch ourselves. We have the word of God to challenge us. We have each other. We have the preaching. We have the sacraments. We talk about how, what it is to look like like Jesus and how does, it, how does the Spirit help us doing that? But then it says here, although the body is dead, because of sin, right, Genesis 3, the Spirit is life. The Spirit is life. It gives us life. He gives us life. Christ died for us so that we may have a new life. I've come to give you that new life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says this life is not real life because people who live in Adam are fractured and aren't really human beings to their fullness. Only in Christ, the most perfect human being in the world is the only fully human person ever because we are fractured. Jesus is the way we were supposed to be, this perfect, obedient man and woman. And there's no one like that. So we aren't the human beings that we're supposed to be. Only in Christ can we experience that and see things that we would never see before. And then we see the resurrection, he says there. And it's because the Spirit is life because of the righteousness of Jesus, right? I mean, it's because we've been made right with God. We've been justified by faith. We We now... in the eyes of God are as if we've never sinned before. We, are, we now clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks upon us, he sees that. And if Jesus, if that righteousness is never enough, then we're all in trouble. And then he goes in verse 11, if the Spirit, again, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... That's who dwells in you. This is a continuous action. This is not just something that happens once. He resides there for the duration. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now I wanted to see something that was, that's, I think is really pretty cool is uh, in, in Sinclair's Ferguson book on the Holy Spirit, which is a really good book. He goes in there and he talks about the Spirit of Christ and he goes through in a very kind of pretty, pretty profound way, goes through and takes us through what it looks like to see the Spirit of God because we need to know who this Spirit is. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, what, who is that Spirit? And so we learn in the Old Testament from Psalm 63, I'm sorry, Isaiah 63, verse 7, He says this, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their Savior. In all of their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his, in his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore we turned to be their enemy, and, he, and, and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea? with the shepherds of his flock where is he who put in the midst of them his holy spirit so we're seeing the entire history of israel being the work of the holy spirit in the li- in their life through the exodus through the pillar of the cloud and the fire through the manna through everything that god provided for them even redemption and the, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Old Testament saints, it's not just a New Testament thing, folks. Abraham became a follower of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, because if the Holy Spirit did not change Abraham, he is not an anomaly. He's not somebody who figured it out, nor David, nor anybody else in any of the Scriptures that is a, f- a saint that is a follower of, and a believer in the Messiah to come. We're all changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So he's saying here, where is that Spirit? Where is he he? in the midst of them is his Spirit, who has caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths. Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like Like livestock... That go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So, this is one of many verses that just encapsulates the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church of the Old Testament. And then we see, in the New Testament, we see that we, the work of the Spirit in the birth of Christ, right? Chapter, Matthew, chapter 1 of Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We see that the work of the Spirit in the incarnation of Jesus starts I mean, the Holy Spirit was Jesus at creation. In verse 1 of chapter, of chapter 1 of Genesis, the Spirit of God was hovering. And now we see it in the life of Jesus, the incarnation of him coming into this world, taking on, as Philippians says, the form of sinful flesh. And in his baptism, right, of chapter 3 of Luke, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with, whom, with you I am well pleased. We see that the Spirit of God was with Jesus from his birth. And, and, and Ferguson and others talk about The Holy Spirit being a companion with Jesus his entire life. And in his public ministry of Luke chapter 4, and he came to the verse 4 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue in the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, they read they read Isaiah 61 was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So notice, he was the one who was to come. The Spirit of God is upon him. Jesus was at the baptism as his ministry, at his birth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Joseph, John the Baptist's life, he, he he was filled with the Spirit at birth. And Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And Joseph and Mary were all affected by the Spirit because of it being the work and the ministry and the support of Christ. So we see, why isn't it called the Spirit of Christ? And in the book of Acts, it says, As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace to Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened through all of Judea, Peter says in Acts chapter 10 beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then Jesus says in chapter um, 12 of Matthew, If I cast out the demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God or by the finger of God that I cast out the demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then even in the death of Jesus, writer of Hebrew tells us in chapter 9, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God before our, to purify our conscious from dead works to serve the living God. This is who the Spirit is. This is who the Spirit is dwelling within you and me. I know this, but when you put the whole body of work together and more to realize that's, it's just not another Spirit that Jesus sent. It is the Holy Spirit that he sent. There's only one Spirit, and that's why you and I can celebrate communion together. When his body is broken and we eat and drink for, and we eat, we eat that in, some, in symbolic way, we realize that his body was broken for our sins and had to be broken to satisfy the wrath of God but because we each can partake of that, we are now celebrating this, this sharing of the body of Christ within us which we are now signifying that you're, the spirit of Christ lives in you and lives in me and that's why we protect this table as the Presbyterian church. Because we do not want people to trample on these things without knowing the truth. And that's where Paul is telling them that this is, this is the, the great news, is that we have this Christ. We have this Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit who was working through all eternity from the beginning of time and existed even before in the Trinity. That we have that Holy Spirit living within us. I hope that's an encouragement. I hope that just blows your socks off, even if you don't have socks on. Because it's just an amazing thing to realize that that's who we have living within us. And yet when we go out and we live our lives to realize that wherever we go, we take him with us. So let's pray together. We pray, Heavenly Father, to you, thanking you for giving us the blessings of life in you through your Son, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we sometimes don't hear enough about the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't hear enough about who you are. But Lord, we thank you for this chapter because there's more to come. There's more to talk about the work of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for applying this into our lives. We thank you, Father and Son, for sending him to us. We thank you for planning it, Father. We thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing it upon the cross and that nothing can take away our salvation. Even when we find ourselves in moments and seasons of when we may feel like we're drifting away or that we have done something or things that are not consistent with the walk of what it is with you, Jesus. That you give us hope. You give us hope for our own battles, but you give us the words to counsel one another, Lord. That we do it in truth. We do it with full biblical knowledge. We understand who the Father is. We understand who you are, Jesus. We understand the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, this will strengthen us. This will These words strengthen the church, strengthen our ministry, give us a power that does not depend upon us, because, Lord, it does not depend upon us to persuade anyone. We cannot convert anyone. We cannot change anybody's heart. And, Lord, you gave us a spirit so that you could work within our hearts where the law did not. The law just told us not to do these things from the outside, and your word tells us that we were not able to do it. We weren't listening. We don't want to listen. And yet, Lord, you've changed our hearts from the inside so that we may say yes to you. So, Father, I pray for us now as we eat and drink, as we gather together around this table, that, Father, you will bless us by uh, blessing uh, uh, the, the bread and the juice Uh, As we eat and drink together, Lord, that we gather together, may this be a time of of renewal, of refreshment, of maybe feeling and sensing something, your presence in a new way because of Paul's writing here today. Oh Lord, guide us at our time of glorifying you with this great uh, uh, sacrament of grace that you've given to us. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. I ask the elders to come up.